Welcome in listeners to another incredible ex- uh, episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a very, very fun and fascinating episode in store for you today. Joining us today, we have the creator, director, and performer of the new show, My Name is Jennifer, which is playing February 3rd and 5th at Theater Lab. And that wonderful creator, director, performer joining us is Noah Crandell. Noah, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I am just so happy that you're here and we're going to be talking about your new show, My Name is Jennifer, because as we were speaking before we started, um, when I got the press release, you know, typical press release, the synopsis comes in and it's like, great, there's the story. Awesome. It'll be great to talk about it. But when I got your press release, this is an immersive show. This is this is a crazy theater piece. It's it's exciting. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, my name is Jennifer is an experimental theater piece. It is um, 18 hours long. So we will be performing the, the show in the loop, me and the, the other cast for 18 hours. And it's a meditation on queer loss and ancestry and we're investigating the relationship between queerness and ephemerality, specifically in relationship to the AIDS epidemic. And we're looking at kind of like a trio of AIDS era artists and deconstructing their work to this make a really fun and exciting piece of theater for, for you all. I mean, that is, it's a lot to take in, but that sounds yeah. <laughs> just so epic. I mean, how could you put that in 90 minutes? It needs to be longer. Um, yeah. How did you come up with the idea for the show? Yeah, so I so a big part of the show is kind of my at least how it started was my own relationship with with the AIDS epidemic and being a queer person and I had an uncle who who had AIDS that was around until I was um 17 and you know I'm queer and it was kind of really when I was in undergrad at uh, the University of North Carolina School of the Arts and kind of doing like a uh, typical, you know, BFA acting conservatory lifestyle. And the program at UNCSA really does emphasize and put a lot of value on young artists creating their own work. And so I just kind of began exploring, making some sort of piece about my relationship with the AIDS epidemic. So it's already kind of, it's always been something that I've been really eager to, to explore. And my background from a younger age, growing up in, um, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, um, I was around a lot of experimental theater artists growing up. And so I feel like it's really kind of in my DNA to work in a more devised setting. And so, yeah, I was just, you know, beginning to explore what a piece about AIDS and my relationship to it could look like. And it was really after I graduated in 2019 and I was introduced to kind of two artists that really changed my life. One of them being David Wojnarowicz, who was uh, 
an AIDS era artist, um, died of AIDS in the early 90s. And he was a, a writer, a performance artist. He was a painter, um, kind of made experimental video. And it was actually a family friend of mine. It was my mom's like best friend since junior high, who is, uh, you know, still a, a very, they're very close. And, you know, I've been introduced to her and I've known her my, known her my whole life. And, and she knew David back during, during the AIDS crisis. And as he was dying, he gave her a bunch of his diaries and asked her to uh, compile it into, into a book after he died. And so she, when I was visiting her once in, in LA, she gave me this book and I was introduced to his work and really is kind of one of those moments as, you know, an artist that you just experience something and you experience another artist and you're like, oh, this is a, like, this is a tribe member. This is someone who I have never seen anything like that. You know, I feel like we're speaking the same language, you know, like my DNA is with his and vice versa. And then it was also similarly me discovering the music of Arthur Russell, another AIDS era artist, musician. And so I was, you know, absorbed by these two incredible artists. And at the time, kind of, you know, this is like the summer of 2019, I take this movement workshop where it's with this uh, incredible queer choreographer. His name is uh, Chris Pourzal. And he had us read, um, come into this workshop, reading an episode of this queer theory book called Cruising Utopia, which really talks about this connection between queerness and ephemerality, which, you know, we can kind of dig in later to kind of my, my thoughts on that. But so it was kind of these like three things that were happening of, you know, being introduced to David's work and Arthur's work and exploring this concept of uh, queerness and ephemerality, specifically in a more movement dance setting, that everything just kind of clicked together. And it would took them another year for me then to gather some friends together and we started workshopping what would then turn into uh my name is jennifer um so that's kind of the the beginning sprinkles of what what this piece is now turned turned into wow now you had mentioned previously this is an 18 hour show and of course there's yes. two performances of it what has it been like developing this show? Wow. I mean, it's been kind of like all divisors. It's been like the all divisors will, I feel like, relate to that. It's been wonderful and awful and, you know, everything in between. And, you know, really, so we're looking at this concept of uh, or investigating the connection between queerness and ephemerality. And... I think what that means by, you know, I kind of mentioned, I learned about this through this choreographer, Chris Pourzal, and it's from this queer theory book called Cruising Utopia by Jose Esteban Munoz. And basically what he is talking about is because queerness isn't documented throughout history in the same way that, you know, normal things are documented just because, you know, you look at who are kind of like the harbingers of of history and is you know history is kind of 
looked at in a very heteronormative lens that in order to kind of find the traces of queerness in history, he makes the argument that you have to investigate and look for um, the ephemera of what is left behind. And, you know, for me, how, how I think about that is like, let's say, you know, it's Saturday night, you go out to the club, you're, you know, in this venue and you leave and you come back Sunday and where are the remnants of what is left behind? And, you know, I think there's something very, you know, if we're, you know, we're on this, I'm on this theater podcast, you know, you go to, you know, the, the Saturday night show and then you're there um, Sunday matinee before it starts. And, you know, where are the remnants in, in the theater that exists? So it, this concept for me feels also very embedded with theatrical performance. And there is something that is very, you know, it's hard, it's not easily tangible, this concept, which I think is purposeful, that it links very much to what, what queerness is. And kind of once you you name the thing, it no longer exists. It's no longer, it's no longer queer. And so kind of with this concept, if we're, as you know, I was kind of talking with my collaborators of if we're doing a piece that is investigating the ephemera and the ephemeral traces of the AIDS epidemic. We felt like a very useful way to do that is if we keep repeating the show over and over and over again. And so, you know, we've constructed the show that, you know, the show, like one round of the show is around two hours or so. And so we've constructed it that, you know, if you want to come for these two hours, you still will be be brought on a very exciting, illuminating experience. But I think a really exciting way too to watch this show is what happens when you stay around and what things from the previous round still linger. And we've also um, constructed the show that there are moments of improvisation that I feel like are only if you are an audience member, you can see how things change and transform over time. And so, you know, I've kind of make the joke that like, you know, I mean, I will, I'm performing in it as well. Like I have to do it for 18 hours. Like it's going to like, we just have no idea what it's going to be like, you know, in some ways, wow. Like I really wish we didn't have to do this <laughs> for 18 hours, but there comes a point where, like the peace is in control and we are no longer in control. We're just kind of following what it is that is unveiled to us. And me and my collaborators were talking about that this felt like the only way to really tell this story was to tell it over a long stretch of time. So that's kind of how this, this came about and especially the idea of doing it for for 18 hours. It was something that I felt really important to share because I think especially as, as a queer person, you know, even though it's not right in front of us anymore and, you know, we're not in the throes of a, you know, total crisis. And, you know, um, if you do contract HIV and AIDS, it's not a death sentence anymore, but it's still, you know, the effects linger are still lingering within the queer community and what is it like you know, you know this is only you know 
the previous generation of folks and how you know do these artists who have died who are no longer with us you know how do we keep their stories alive and how have they changed the lives of young artists today and it's something you know especially having such a close personal relationship with the AIDS epidemic because of my uncle that I knew for me was constant I was constantly in in a dialogue with and and so yeah that felt really important to to illuminate that for an audience today and especially you know I feel like the the majority of the audience will be I I assume kind of younger queer people and so that was something really important to I think also yeah to shed light and to kind of create a space where young people could reflect on things that maybe they feel but don't often maybe have the the vocabulary for or don't it's not maybe at the forefront for that yeah so it's been you know just a really it's been a really wonderful experience so far and i think something really important for me in this piece that we've talked about my collaborators and i is you know also i think telling the story something that what felt very at least that, that really hit me quite strongly reading um, David Bonarovich's work. And, you know, like I said, he's, you know, uh, kind of the ultimate multi-hyphenate. But for me, the the work that I've connected to the most has been his his writing. And, and he is, you know, a very, at least in his writing, you know, a very angry person, very rightfully so. And we really didn't want to make this piece in the way that like I often see in, you know, Hollywood films or Hollywood depictions, you know, we don't, we didn't want to make a, a romanticized version of what the AIDS epidemic is. And, you know, kind of like, yes, and like they live on through us and, you know, we're going to, you know, continue like the good fight, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what I like to think of this kind of like Ryan Murphy-esque, you know, depiction of what queerness and AIDS looks like. And, you know, I loved I loved Pose, you know, I only watched season one and season one was fabulous. You know, there's like this great, you know, moment where like MJ Rodriguez and Billy Porter are like singing this fantastic duet and it really, you know, you know, tugs at the heartstrings and, you know, is kind of making making the audience really sympathize and, you know, potentially a little emotionally manipulative. But I was really looking at what I found in David Wojnarowicz's work was just like this was in some ways nothing more than like young people losing their lives there was nothing romantic about it there was nothing that made sense about it and you know this was a a mass like a like a mass murder of of young queer people and i feel like all of the pieces of art and the ways that I've learned about it still have this kind of romantic feeling of, of this time. And I really wanted to shed that away and just look at what was at the root and what is at the root of this time and what this extreme death toll has, how that has shaped us as young queer people. And it is kind of unimaginable to, yeah, to, to imagine. Yeah. 
What is the message or thought you're hoping audiences will take away from the show? Oh man, you know, kind of like ultimate question, right? It's like, you know, why do, why do we make theater? You know, I really, I kind you know, I wanted to, um, you know, there was this great like Annie Baker quote and it's when like, it's, uh, you know, like on the Criterion collection on their website, they have like, you know, a list of, um, they interview a lot of people and they kind of put their top 10 favorite films and they explain a little bit why. And it's Annie Baker talking about the phenomenal film, Gene Dealman. And she talks about how that film was kind of revolutionary for her because it reminded her that, and it felt like such a simple thing, but to make the art that I want to see. And so at least that's kind of how this started where, you know, I want to make the art that I want to see that I feel like I'm not seeing. And so to me, it really feels like what I'm trying to do, the message or the reason behind this is to give young queer people a space and to come to a piece of theater and be invited to a piece of theater that feels like an accurate depiction of, of their experience. And that felt like for me, something that I never have really felt as a theater goer at least very rarely do I feel like my experience as a queer person was I did not see that lived in front of me so to offer a space for queer people to be in an authentic version of of their queerness is really to me kind of the reason behind this and then to also kind of for the non-queer audience member to be invited into a space that sees an authentic version of queerness in front of them that they may not have been been privy to. So that feels like, you know, this piece is really for young queer people. I love that. I think you might have already answered this, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. How long have you been working on this show from, from development all the way to now? Well, so... We really began the summer of 2020 was our, am I getting that right? Maybe it was the summer of 2021. Summer of 2021 was our first, first workshop. So we did a workshop for the month of August, summer 2021. And then we did another workshop January of 2022. And then we have only now started back up again about you know a month ago or so so yeah it's really been you know yeah we've we've been working on it you know all systems ago or you know kind of since august 2021 so it's been a long a long time coming i want to wrap up the first part of this interview with um really what i think is an important question especially for the show which is who do you hope have access to this I mean, I think kind of like I said, where, you know, who this piece is really for is for young queer people. And I'm always in this mindset, too, where, like, you know, theater, like, stopped being cool is how I think of it, you know? And young people, like, they don't see theater. And it feels like the only people who see theater are other theater people. And I'm in the position where I'm like, theater can be can be fucking cool and getting a group of young queer artists you know 
who aren't just in the theater, but who, you know, who are cinephiles and painters or people have nothing to do with the art, but just gathering young people and giving them an experience that reminds them of, or not even reminds them, but maybe even introduces them for the first time of what theater can be and that it is a it is an art form that is like worthy of your attention and your you know your money and it's worth investing in and being curious by and you know I think that feels very there's kind of like this American mindset which I think you know is no surprise you know some of my favorite things that I see are often shows that are from kind of other countries, you know, predominantly Europe, where their government really helps assist in in theater making. Whereas, you know, here in America, of course, we don't really, we don't get that opportunity. So you just see the capitalization of theater, which really just oftentimes, m the majority of the time, can just totally strip out the the art of it and you know the making of of risks and so i feel like it's no wonder that young people have really kind of deserted the art form and so that's something that has been that i feel really strongly about is making theater cool and exciting again for a group of people that have otherwise dismissed it we not only talk about you know the nuts and bolts of theater but we also talk about our own personal experience in the theater and i think this is a perfect segue into letting our audience uh learn more about your experience in the theater and i want to start by asking you what shows or playwrights or composers in the past have inspired you or do you love mm, i mean like i said before like david voinerovich and arthur russell you know it really it's one of those the two the, the two of them are some of those artists where it kind of feels like the the moment before them and then the moment after them and kind of how it just changed my perspective about what a queer artist um what queer art can can be and can look like you know in terms of playwrights i am a huge fan of Annie Baker, I know I mentioned her before. Sarah Kane, the the late great Sarah Kane, who really would just push the envelope of what theater can be. And you know, I was talking about her work recently, and the reason why I just love her so much. And I I've yet to to work on on one of her plays, but you know, she writes for people who don't know Sarah Kane. I mean, her stuff is just extremely dark and she had a really tragic life and she died very young. This young British playwright and kind of died, I think, in like her late 20s. And but as she was alive, really just kind of took the the British theater scene by by storm. And, you know, her plays are very graphic, very violent. And she also writes just these kind of insane 
theater, uh, you know, um, stage directions in her plays, you know, and rats like come on stage and, you know, grab a body and like scurry it away. And, you know, what are other ones? It's like, and flowers like, you know, blossom from the ground and like grow up to the ceiling. I mean, just these impossible stage directions. And she is asking theater makers, you know, artists, you know, set designers, actors, the director, you know, everyone to come together and collaborate and figure out how do we pull this off. And to me, that is what an exceptional playwright and just, you know, exceptional theater and why I love devising because it forces everyone to come together and figure out how the hell are we going to do this? So Sarah Kane is, yeah, also, yeah, a big, big influence for me. And it would be remiss, you know, I a friend who is fabulous, his name is Jake Miriani, and, you know, he has not, his plays have not been, been produced, and he is just one of my favorite playwrights in the whole world, so I'd be remiss if I did not, did not call him out right now. <laughs> well, here's hoping it gets produced soon now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, I know you've been busy with My Name is Jennifer, but have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Oh, man. I mean, I was thinking about this because I, you know, was looking at some of uh, some of the questions beforehand. And, you know, I haven't seen anything in so long. The last things I really saw was like late September, early October, where I when I saw a number of things at um, uh, Next Wave at BAM. So unfortunately, none of it is playing anymore. But, you know, every fall band, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, just does an incredible retrospective of different shows. And, you know, they're from all over the world. And the thing that made the biggest impact on me was this Belgian show called 300L times 50L times 30L. And I mean, if we're talking about just like, you know, theater that, is so weird but also like i mean you know there's a point in the show where trees are like lifted from from the back from you know upstage and it's like this giant woods you know these like you know basically like life-size trees there's like seven or eight of them and they're lifted and then flipped upside down and it's like this little belgian theater company and they do and you know they're in New York for like three, four days. And it was just this phenomenal piece of theater. Nobody spoke the whole time. And basically it's this, like the set designer, you know, they've kind of done this makeshift of, of a town. So there are probably like seven houses or so. And from the perspective of the audience, you just see the back of the house. So you're not even seeing the inside, but a camera keeps going around the stage where then we see from behind what is going on inside the houses. And it's looking just kind of at this like little village in, in Belgium, you know, I suppose it's really, you know, there's no specific location. And as the camera goes around, things just kind of get more and more absurd. And, you know, I mean, I don't even know if it's a spoiler, like, I don't know if it's ever coming back to New York, I don't know when it's ever happening again, but basically, at one point towards the end of the show, 
the kind of main ensemble of like 15 people or so just start jumping up and down. And then in walks about a hundred or so people coming onto the stage and it ends with everyone just jumping up and down nonstop for like, I want to say like 10 minutes straight. And, you know, like there was music playing and it was just the most, oh my God, it felt like transcendental. I mean, I was just like, it felt like it was this out-of-body experience where I just had never seen anything like that before. And it felt like the audience got up and, you know, just gave this like rousing standing ovation. And it felt like collectively we were all just so grateful to be in in this space together where risk was was happening on stage where we were witnessing something that we've never seen before and how rarely you get that i think as an american theater goer and there was like this hunger in the air and we were all just so grateful um and it felt like we were at like at a rock concert i mean people were just kind of what felt like to me just losing their minds when the show ended so that was the best piece of theater i've seen in a while and i hope that as many people who are listening were able to uh, you know get the great fortune of seeing it as well that sounds incredible yeah wow i'm not to look up this piece now that sounds amazing yeah and- and that's another great segue to my next question, which is what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Oh, man. I mean, I think it really is kind of what Sarah Kane really wants. And it, it's it's about collaboration. It's about working together to put something up that, you know, may never be seen again. And, you know, the and I I'm a huge I'm a huge cinephile. And I love I love, love, love watching movies, especially kind of, you know, the Like during the pandemic, you know, I've always really, really loved film. And during the pandemic, when, you know, there was no theater, theater to be seen, it became a real part of my artistic outlet of watching kind of more experimental film and looking at, you know, like old Tarkovsky and Bergman and, you know, some of these greats that I felt like were really pushing the form in a way that I wasn't seeing people do the same way in the US with American theater. But when, like when it's done right, you know, when I experienced something, like I saw, saw a BAM with this, with this Belgian show, it's unlike anything that you can experience. And it's the, because you know, you've been given this gift and that once it's gone, it's gone. And the exhilaration of seeing a live performance with a group of people around you it kind of feels like to me that it says as good as it gets and so to be a part like I know what that feels like as an audience member so to be in a profession where I could have the opportunity to try and very likely fail but at least try to give somebody else that experience of of in of in the art of collaboration of trying to give an audience that experience to me is just you know the ultimate gift and i think to me kind of looking in connection to to my name is jennifer and looking at ephemerality i 
I think there's this argument to be, to be made if there is this kind of link between queerness and ephemerality and the ephemerality of, of theater and live performance, that there is that theater in, in and of itself then is inherently queer in its nature. And so to be an art form where I get to go, not every day because, you know, I'm a, I'm a young artist and don't get the privilege now to, to make theater every day. But to me, it feels like even if in a selfish way, the, the space where I feel the closest to, to myself in my own personhood. Yeah. And there's this, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. You know, once you have been bit by the bug, there's kind of no turning back as much as, you know, sometimes we wish, but you, we know that there's no, <laughs> there's no there's satisfaction no in anything nope. else. Yeah. <laughs> you try try the way you all you, all you want it. Nope. Nope. You'll end up back here. Oh yeah. So we've come to my favorite question to ask guests. And I'm very excited to hear uh, yours, especially just with all the background that you've given us. And the question is, what is your favorite theater memory? Oh, my God. Okay, let's think about this. You know, I don't want to give just the same answer of this one show, but my favorite theater memory. Well, you know, this is actually so funny. You know, maybe it's not my favorite theater memory, but of course, you know, I've really like in some ways like talk trash about commercial theater, but there is a place for it. And, you know, I think especially as as young, when you're really young, that's often times our first <laughs> experiences with theater. And, you know, I was thinking like, I don't even know, I was on, you know, we were, we ended rehearsal last night, we ended rehearsal like 11 p.m. And I'm back home and, you know, I am just kind of uh, can't get to sleep. I'm like on adrenaline, I'm like scrolling through Instagram. And I somehow like find my way. I don't even know how I got there to like the like in wicked Instagram page, like for the Broadway musical. And I'm not like a musical person. I have no like musical theater skills, but wicked was, was one of my first theater experiences as a young person. And I loved wicked and, you know, I won the wicked lottery when I was, you know, probably like 12 years old or something in, in Minneapolis and I got front row tickets. And I remember this moment and it's in, you know, it was like the last song. I don't even know what like the finale of the show is anymore. And I just remember like an ensemble member looking at me in the eye. And that to me is, you know, at the time, kind of felt like the greatest experience that one could ask for. And in a way of why, like the magic of live performance. And it's, you know, what, what you can't get watching a movie. And, you know, there's this great theater book that I recommend to anyone who is listening. And it's called um, Theater of the Unimpressed by Jordan Tannehill, who is this queer Canadian theater maker and basically talks a lot about what I've been talking about and who I've probably, you know, stolen so much of what I said today from and kind of, you know, explaining why, you know, theater in North America sucks for the most part and the kind of like the commercialization of theater and kind of what 
what we can do in order to change it. And you know, the thing about live performance, you know, what makes a difference is that it's live and you have an audience right there. And so he makes this argument of like theater makers, like use us, use the audience. Like we want to be acknowledged. You know, why am I spending, you know, at the least like $50 to see a show and then, you know, the lights go down on on the house and the stage lights go up and it feels as if I'm maybe just like watching a movie. And there is this thing, you know, like, so I think about that moment as this young person of this ensemble member looking me in the eye and inviting me in that to me, I feel like that moment has in some ways like informed my whole theater making like identity and kind of practice of how do we invite the audience in and use them and have them be a part of of this show and so i'm like surprising myself that i said that story and it was only because you know my late night instagram scroll and finding the wicked <laughs> instagram page but yeah that is i'm sticking i'm sticking with that <laughs> Well, I love that one. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for the book recommendation too. Yes, yes. Theater of the Unimpressed. Are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? No, that's it right now. You know, something why I'm so happy to be on here today. You know, this has been, my name is Jennifer. My my first show that I've been, that I put up in New York and... I feel like something that at least I, you know, didn't really get from or get uh get help in maybe is the right word or maybe just wasn't shared with me. I mean, like just there, I feel like there's no there's no guide for how to make theater as a young person in New York. You know, there's a reason why this is taken so so damn long, and I'm also. I wouldn't say a perfectionist, but I definitely work in the kind of way where I spend a lot of time on things. I don't often juggle multiple ideas and projects at a time, and I really let things simmer. And to me, that also feels, I had a friend who was a part of one of the workshops as we were making the show, and um, they're not in in the version that you know we're creating now but something that you know everyone was always talking to me and when they found out that I was you know doing this first workshop a couple of years ago they're like okay so like so what is it and like do we get to see it at the end and I was like no like this is like process-based workshop and it kind of didn't really click for people that that could be it and they're like oh so you're just kind of going to like be in the space and like making things you're not going to show anything of it after and I was like, yeah, exactly. And to me, that felt like, you know, this friend of mine who was a part of it at the time, you know, they were saying that it felt like, you know, kind of like the biggest, like, middle finger to, you know, this capitalist, like, American theater making. And, you know, to actually luxuriate and take the time to, to do something feels like a very radical thing to do and so, so yeah so you know nothing is in the work right now 
Um, we're going to kind of see what happens, you know, with the show. And then, you know, we're kind of, we're putting our all into it as if this is like the last time we'll ever do it. And, and now, you know, I do have like, you know, some ideas and new things I want to like potentially explore, but I'm so happy to be on this show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 25 right now and yeah. And especially kind of graduating like nine months before the pandemic hit that I feel like I, I didn't often hear from other young theater artists about how, how do you make something and how long is it going to take? And a lot of it, you know, I just had to kind of figure out on, on my own and take the time to do that. So nothing in the works right now, but you know, to, to be continued. Good for you. And now you will write the book for everyone. Ah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Email me and, you know, I'll give you all the answers. <laughs> if our listeners want more information about My Name is Jennifer or about you, how can they get that? How can they reach out to you? Totally. So you can buy tickets at theaterlabnyc.com. You can follow our Insta Instagram um, at My Name is Jennifer Project. You can follow me directly at Noah Crandell. Yeah, I know. I think right now the tickets are in the link in my bio. Shoot us a direct message. But yeah, go to uh, your best ways, going to theorlabnyc.com and purchasing those tickets. Wonderful. Well, Noah, thank you so, so much for joining me today and sharing this wealth of knowledge and this incredible show. It sounds amazing. I cannot wait for it to open and for people to experience all that you've created. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, Andrew, for having me. It's been a blast. My guest today has been Noah Crandell. He is the creator, director, and performer of the new show, My Name is Jennifer, which is being performed February 3rd and 5th at Theater Lab. Tickets and more information can be found at theaterlabnyc.com. You can also follow them and get more information on their Instagram at My Name is Jennifer Project. And be sure to also follow Noah on Instagram to stay up to date with all of his amazing works uh, at Noah Crandell. We're going to have all this information in our episode description as well as on our social media. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. 
Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>